0: It's episode 206 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and after a three-week break, it's time to get back to local sports. First up, a big splash in the coaching ranks in high school football, the efforts of the Cincinnati Bengals and this year's free agency, a new name for historic high school team, college baseball hits Dayton, and it's March Madness, baby! All that and possibly more on the local Sunday Sports Podcast, episode 206. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Norfolk, Kentucky, and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County. From Richmond, Indiana, and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region, to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the Tee Public and Redbubble shops, and find the latest episodes, please visit syndaypod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. It's great to be back on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. This is episode 206, cindepod.com, and cindepod on your social media channels. In case you're wondering why such a long break, no, it was not planned. But some good news in my family's life. Uh, My fiancé and I are moving, hence it's not very far. We're just getting a townhome. So can't wait to move into that this summer. And there's been a lot of cleaning and packing and everything. So this podcast had to be set aside. Didn't plan it to be three weeks. It was only supposed to be a week. And then another week happened. Another week happened. So that's why there was such a delay. But I can guarantee you there is probably a lot more local sports on this podcast than that show on radio. That dares call itself local sports in Dayton. But hey. Let's begin. There is a big splash in the Cincinnati high school football coaching ranks. As you might know, Mike Daniels took a job with Army West Point, with their football team. So the Princeton Vikings had an opening for the head football coach. And making the oh-so-long drive from the Winton Woods School District to Princeton is Andre Parker. Now, this hire really excited me because Andre Parker has been outstanding with Winton Woods in his 10 years. I think the Warriors missed the playoffs once. And I know that was because the Warriors didn't have 10 games. There was only nine. So, And it was down to week 10. But Andre Parker has done a great job with the Winton Woods Warriors. And now he'll be entering 2021 as the head coach of the Princeton Vikings. Now, I know I don't get to talk a lot about coaching changes just because of the fact there are a lot that go through the high school ranks, but this one affects me because I do broadcast for the Princeton Vikings football team on ESP Media, and I can't wait to see what's in store for my second year with the Vikings. So this article is from MSN.com, but it was released by Scott Springer of the Cincinnati Inquirer about a week ago. Parker's been the highly successful head coach of Winton Woods. He was a grad of Winton Woods back in the late '90s, I want to say '98, possibly 1999. He's been the head coach of Winton Woods since 2010, when then coach Troy Everhart resigned and took a job at UC. And Parker was the defensive coordinator when Winton Woods won the state title in 2009 in Division Two. In the video that accompanies this article coach Parker mentioned, this is probably the toughest decision he's ever had to make in his adult life. I mean, he's jumping in from division two to division one. I mean, it's just pretty much Princeton's a bigger school district than Winton Woods, but I don't think by much, but anyway, I mean, coach Parker was very excited to take the job. Great job, great facilities, great kids, and he mentions that it's going to be good coaching, disciplined, and fast and aggressive. So I can't wait to see how Parker's influence affects the rest of the Vikings. Definitely a hire that, once I saw, I was ecstatic about. Just because I've followed high school football for a while. And like I said, Coach Parker's done an amazing job with Woods. No, no state titles. There was a runner-up in, what was it, 2017? Yes, in Division II. Two state semifinals and six postseason appearances. I was only off by two. Okay. At Witten Woods, Parker was 77-30. 77 wins, of course. And some of the Warriors he coached in the NFL from Louisville, Dominic Brown. Also coached Mike Edwards, who just won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. George Brown with the Miami Hurricanes, Chris Oates of Kentucky, David Long of West Virginia, Noah Listerman of Michigan State, Anthony Tank Booker of Maryland, and a gray sure commit to Maryland, Andrew Bam Booker. For Mike Daniels, he went 19-20 and 20 with two postseason appearances at Princeton, although the Vikings had to forfeit four games in 2018 because of OHSAA violations. So what does that mean for Cincinnati as a whole in terms of high school football and the greater Miami conference? I'm glad you asked. I have a feeling that there could be two teams that constantly battle for the top of the GMC. And that would be Tom Bowden's Lakota West firebirds and Andre Parker's Princeton Vikings. Now I know I'm broadcasting Princeton; it makes me sound like a homer, but just hear me out. Like I said, Parker's seventy-seven thirty. He did a lot of great things with Winton Woods football, and in fact, yeah, it's one of the teams that I was happy to see go in the ECC. It just when you think high school football, Winton Woods is probably one of the few teams that you think about right off the top of your head, just because how consistent the Warriors have been and you know what I think he's going to do the same job with Princeton he's going to make them consistent he's going to make them top of Cincinnati and I think he's going to do a great job so what's that mean for Witten Woods well I don't believe the Warriors have hired a new head coach yet there are a few possibilities interior I think Chad Murphy's name has been dropped a couple times but I think they'll still be fine I just i I know when you leave somewhere that you graduated from and you coach for the last decade, you know you grew accustomed to the kids, the players, the parents, and the community. Yes, I know Winton Woods is right next door to Princeton, which I'd never really thought about until you know now, but it's a new beginning, and I think Coach Parker will rise to the challenge, and I think he'll do. Some great work with the Princeton Vikings. Now, already there are the 2021 football schedules on the Yappy Sports message boards. Yappy.com. That's y-a-p-p-i.com, And we're going to go ahead and pull some of those up. Of course, I can't go through all of them. We'd be here all day, and I want to make this... Episode as quick as I can. I know I missed about three weeks of stuff, but let me tell you a little bit about Princeton's 2021 schedule. So the Vikings will start off August 19th at home against the Anderson football squad. More on Anderson later. Then traveling to Loveland. Now, my one year broadcasting Loveland football, I did not get to see Anderson. That was the game I had to miss because of a prior engagement although Anderson wanted 63-8, to eight, and I think they had to call the game about four minutes to go because of fights. Going back to Loveland, I love Loveland. I love my year covering the Tigers. Yes, the Tigers didn't win that year, but I still appreciate the opportunity to be the voice of Loveland Tigers football, and, hey, I was back in high school football in Cincinnati. So, yeah, definitely. So that's a trip I look forward to making. Back at home for Princeton on September 3rd against Hamilton to open up GMC play. And then week four, probably the game you're going to watch closely. Princeton at Lakota West. Yeah, like I said, I think I'm not saying Parker's first year that Princeton's going to be battling for a GMC title. Although I think Princeton has the capabilities to do it. I just think Lakota West is, you know, established and but we'll see. Yeah, week four at Lakota West. Week five on September 17th, home against Fairfield. September 24th at Oak Hills. October 1st at Middletown. And then the last three games are at home against Sycamore, Mason. And week 10 has Coleraine. Now, I believe we're going to go back to close to normal in 2021, meaning that not every team's going to make it. However, if you remember, before the coronavirus struck, That there was talks about OHSA expanding teams making the playoffs from 8 to 12. And then I think they were talking about 12 to 16 at one point, but I don't know if that came to pass. So a little bit more wiggle room for all divisions, but still, that's, that's a tough schedule. I mean, at Lakota West, home against Colerain, those are probably going to be... The two games to watch, especially since Princeton knocked off Colerain on the road. First win against the Cardinals since 1997. So definitely looking forward to that. Sycamore, they're always strong. Mason's a great team. Well-coached team, too. Middletown, they're going to be rebuilding. So I can't wait to see how the Middies do. And also Barnett Stadium. Can't wait to visit there again. Oak Hills, I think they'll be better than last year. Fairfield. They're gonna get a year of experience under the belt. I think they'll be better. I already talked about Lakota West. Hamilton gave a real nice battle at Hamilton against Princeton in week one in twenty twenty. So I think that'll be a good game. I think Loveland will be improved, and I think Anderson will be tough, although losing Jackson Kuhn, the pass the passing quarterback extraordinaire. What do you have? Something like four thousand yards. It's, it felt like he had 4,000 yards, but yeah, Anderson's going to be losing that quarterback. So yeah, I think Princeton's got a tough schedule and I can't wait to get back to the gridiron to talk Princeton Vikings football and see the first year of Andre Parker leading the Vikings ship. Speaking of Anderson, it's time to announce the new mascot for AHS. Please welcome the Raptors. This article from WLWT Channel 5 Cincinnati, also on MSN.com. Anderson High School has a new mascot as the Raptors with the Redskins logo being retired after eight decades of use. School officials said the decision was made after months of planning, researching, and collaborations with students, staff, and alumni. Anderson High School officials called a Raptor strong, bold, courageous. Traits, they say, are found in Anderson's alma mater. Now, first up, Raptors, definitely unique. Because really, I I think about all the high schools in the Cincinnati-Dayton area, and even Northern Kentucky and eastern southeastern indiana i really don't think there's one that's based off a dinosaur so definitely creative there i also like the new logo i i I don't know if raptors have stripes i never met a raptor okay but it kind of has stripes like a cincinnati Bengal does so i like that little touch i do like the new logo originally i thought raptors okay um personally it would have been great if they Took the Baron's name because you know Amelia High School used to be the Barons before merging into West Claremont with Estee. But I do like the Raptors name. I know there's going to be a big fight saying Anderson shouldn't have done that. Cancel culture, PC. <laughs> well, yes, uh, the mumbling's correct, but uh, you know what? Getting out of you know people's opinions on it. I I, I do like the change, and I think it'll be. You know, something that Anderson can hang their hats on for quite some time. The three stripes across the nose are representative of Anderson's three pillars. Academics, art, and athletics. Wait, three stripes across the nose? I can barely see them on this little picture, but you look towards the snout. Yeah, I guess I can see that there. Are they talking? That's four. Oh, on the back of the head, I guess. I I don't know. But... It's a raptor colored orange with thin black stripes and teeth because, you know, most animals have teeth. Since we began, we've been overwhelmed by the level of community and parent support for our transition efforts. We're excited to continue the rich tradition of excellence in the areas of academics, the arts and athletics at Anderson high school for years to come. Go Raptors as Anderson high school principal, Rob Fellow said. So I can tell you the day that Mike Dyer shared it on Twitter, there were several comments complaining about, oh, I've already mentioned cancel culture and everything like that, but I will definitely say that, you know, as we grow more evolved and we gain a higher, you know, a higher learning of respect, okay, I can hope that, but Yeah, definitely. I I like it, and maybe that'll start a trend. There are some schools that have already said they're not going to change, which, you know, so be it. That's fine. But the ones that do, they're thinking out of the box, and I do really like that. I mean, I mentioned West Claremont, the Wolves. That's very unique, too, uh, just because of the fact that, you know, again, going through all the high schools, I don't really think there's a wolf, Wolves wolf pack. Although I can tell you since name sports media is definitely obsessed with Wright State having a wolf as a Raider, which get over it already, but yeah, I like it. You know, so can't wait to see the Raptors, their first football game again at Princeton. And that should be a really fun one too. I know the quarterback I mentioned he's graduated and gone, but we'll see. It's a well-coached team and it's going to be fun saying Raptors Vikings. You know what month it is. is. Time for March Madness, baby. Sweet 16. Boom. Actually, boom isn't part of the ref. Never mind. It's time to talk about the big dance. That's right. And this year, there's not a lot to talk about because none of these Southwest Ohio teams made it in. No Wright State Raiders, no Dayton Flyers in the big dance. No Miami Redhawks, no Cincinnati Bearcats, no Xavier Musketeers, no Norfolk Kentucky Norse. So why am I talking about it on a podcast that talks about local Cincinnati and Dayton sports? Well, I'm glad you asked. Why not? It's my podcast and go through some of the picks and some of my upsets and then you can all call me haters or whatever you'd like to do. But... Should be very fun bracket. I've heard 98% of the conference finals did get through unharmed. So that is nice. But let me tell you some of my upsets I've had. We'll start with the South Division of the March Madness bracket. I had 15-seeded Oral Roberts upsetting number two, that team in Columbus. I know, you're going to call me a hater, but I base it on the fact that that team in Columbus really choked as of late. And yeah, you can say they made the title game, whoop de doo but look at the regular season ending. Just Nah, I don't don't see that team in Columbus going far. I also have Winthrop, which is led by Pat Kelsey. You might know him. As a Cincinnati native, the coach of the Eagles, and also rumored to be the next head coach of Xavier before uh, Travis Steele was hired for that job. Pat Kelsey worked with Chris Mack for a very long time before taking the Winthrop job. By the way, Mack now with the Louisville Cardinals. I had them beating number 5 Villanova, and that was a tough pick for me. Villanova's got a couple of injuries of their point guard, what is it, Chris Gillespie? He's out with for the season with, I think, an ACL tear. So they're missing a couple of key players, and I think that's prime opportunity for an upset. Let's see, who else did I have? By the way, first four starting tonight. It is super weird that it's not going to be at UD Arena, but everything's in Indiana. Uh, Indiana Farmers Coliseum, Bankers Life hosting some. I think Indiana U's got some. All of it's in the Hoosier State, is basically what I'm saying. I wanted to go Ohio over Virginia because, hey, the Cavaliers did fall to uh, UMBC. UMBC? I think that's what it is. I don't know. Find them on Twitter. They're still, you know, one of the funniest accounts out there. But then I thought, no, I think Tony Bennett's going to have his team ready to go against the Bobcats. Not saying that's not going to be an easy battle, no. But I had Virginia going over. Let's see, I also had... Where is it on this bracket? Technically not an upset, but I did have Loyola Chicago getting over Georgia Tech. I I think the Ramblers, they've done so many great things since leaving the Horizon League for the Missouri Valley. I mentioned it on Tom Green's podcast, which, by the way, you can listen to now. Find it on my Twitter at the Lee W. You can listen in from there. I I mentioned on that podcast that when Loyola was in the Horizon League, it didn't really do much. But now in the Missouri Valley, they've been competitive, they've been consistent, and they've been really good. So I like seeing that. It's just too bad it didn't happen during Horizon League. Maybe you know, it'd be a multi bid league but I digress so technically not an upset I also had Wisconsin over North Carolina which is nine over eight I I just think the last few years have been or the last few seasons have been rough for UNC I know Roy Williams extraordinary coach not taking it away from him but I, I do have Wisconsin edging out the Tar Heels And I think that's really all the upsets. When I filled out the bracket, I realized that I did have all four number one seeds still alive. I was like, ah, crap. It's not going to look like that at all. I filled out two brackets total. I think I had Gonzaga winning the national championship in one and Michigan winning the other one. I, I do think the national championship will come from that final four battle. But who's to win it? Who's to say? That's not to say that Baylor and Illinois are slouches, but that's what I have. So that's a little bit about my March Madness bracket. I'm not going to bore you with all the details. I don't really have a lot of upsets to talk about. But uh, I can tell you when I was working the Dayton baseball game, when we were filling out brackets just for fun, uh, that a lot of people were calling me crazy for Oral Roberts beating that team in Columbus. I don't know, Oral Roberts has been a solid mid-major program in the Summit League. I think they can do it, so we'll see. But, yes, March Madness. Now, I mentioned that there's no Southwest Ohio teams to talk about, nor NKU. However, there is one team that did make the NIT, and that would be your Dayton Flyers. The Dayton Flyers are the fourth seed and they'll take on the top seed Memphis Tigers, a team that really battled strong in the AAC. You know, I I was surprised. I'll be honest with you. I was surprised because the Flyers' losses to Fordham, uh, St. Joseph's, and LaSalle, those teams end up finishing bottom of the A-10 table. Now, granted, Dayton did have a couple great wins, including knocking off regular season champions and the A-10 tournament winners, St. Bonaventure at St. Bonaventure. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's heartbreaking to think that Dayton had a shot. I, I at least had Dayton going to the Final Four last year. Whereas, you know, this year, yeah, it's a little disappointing. I mean, but Still a tournament to win, and I think Dayton Flyers can do it, but they do have a tough customer in the Memphis Tigers. It is nice for Jalen Crutcher and the other seniors a shot to play in the playoffs before they leave UD. If they are leaving UD, I should say. Yeah, with this coronavirus, I think seniors can stay one more year. At least I think. Most of this will be taking place in Texas. By most, I mean all of it. The championship will be held at the Comerica Center in Frisco, Texas. Dayton's game will be in Denton, Texas at the, what does that say? The UNT Coliseum, home of the Mean Green. So on the left side of the bracket, you have Colorado State and Memphis as your top seeds. The Rams will get the Buffalo Bulls. Davidson. We'll take on NC State, 2-3. and Winner of that game gets the winner of Colorado State-Buffalo. If Dayton moves on against Memphis, they'll take on the winner of Boise State or SMU. On the other side of the bracket, you have a couple more A-10 teams. I think there's four A-10 teams. Dayton, Davidson, St. Louis, and Richmond. Which, by the way, Richmond has defeated Toledo by 10 last night. So, I'm trying to see... Also St. Mary's Western Kentucky played last night too. But Richmond, the two seed, knocked off the three seed Toledo Rockets. And they'll get the winner of number one St. Louis and number four Mississippi State. On the bottom side of the right side of the bracket, you have number two St. Mary's against number three Western Kentucky. Again, they played last night. Don't have a final score for you. And number one, Ole Miss going against number four Louisiana Tech. The NIT goes on till March twenty eighth. And the championship will be played at noon on ESPN. The third place game is actually after the championship game. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would you put the third place game last? Never mind. That's your NIT and the Dayton Flyers will represent Southwest Ohio. There is one more tournament to talk about. The 2021 College Basketball Invitational, which only has eight teams. And no, there's no local teams. The closest team would be Bowling Green, and they have Stetson. Coastal Carolina has Bryant, Longwood has Pepperdine, and Bellarmine. They have a brand-new Division I outfit in Louisville, Kentucky. You might know them as the team that plays out of Freedom Hall now. They got Army. All these games are on Flow Sports, meaning pay-per-view per month, I believe, and starts March 22nd. Now, I'm not the one that likes to make excuses. I mean, if Wright State didn't blow a 20, yeah, I, I, I we have to talk about it eventually. Wright State blew a 24-point lead with seven minutes to go and lost in an OT in the semifinal game in the Horizon League tournament to Milwaukee, which coming into that tournament, I thought, ooh, Milwaukee's going to give us a good battle. I mean, I was surprised Wright State swept both those games, but Panthers did a nice job taking that game away from Wright State. I, I, I'm, I'm just disappointed that Wright State didn't get an offer. I know NIT's not going with the automatic bids if you win your regular season title, but don't get the tournament title too. But I, I think that's a, a shame. Wright State was ranked so high, and such a great year ended on a sour note like that. Just... Mm. I hope Loud Love does come back, but you no, know, it's up to him. I mean, if he thinks that another year at Wright State will do him good, that's great. If not, then, you know, definitely a heck of a career leading rebounder and the most wins for an athlete in Division I history at Wright State. So, yeah, I am a little sad that Wright State didn't get into the tournament, but I am happy to see the Dayton Flyers fight on for another tournament. No Cincinnati, no Xavier and I think that's the first time since the 70s since that happened. It's been a while. since uh, Cincinnati had a rough season and one time was last in the AAC. But I, the way they came back without Keith Williams in the semifinal game against Wichita State to knock off the top-seeded Shockers, I mean, that, that's heart and soul. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget that fight. And then Houston comes in and steamrolls UC again. Houston's got a really good squad. They have Cleveland State in their March Madness battle, by the way, which I have the Cougars winning. I know I'd like to see the Vikings pull off an upset, but I just I don't see it happening. Although Cleveland State's been really strong since, you know, being outscored 40-0 in one span against Ohio. But it is nice to see the Vikings in the tournament. However, yeah, it's just... Now, if you see facing so many athletes trans- going into the transfer portal, man, I, I have no idea. I think there's, what, four scholarship players? And just, uh, I hope Coach Brennan gets the ship right for next season. Xavier, on the other hand, what a great start they had before Big E's play. And then just it kind of fell apart from the Musketeers, which, again, they controlled their own destiny and just, blew it in their Big East tournament game, so yeah, it's it's rough to not talk about Southwest Ohio teams in these tournaments, with the exception of Dayton, but you know, it is what it is March Madness it's time for basketball, baby You know what's back in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio? College baseball and softball, baby! Okay, I really gotta stop making that reference. Yes, college baseball and softball have had home games in the Southwest Ohio region, and it's time to talk about them. We'll start with the Wright State Raiders. Remember, WSU no longer carries softball. Hopefully, they'll bring it back soon. But let's talk about the Raider Gang. 8-0 start. And Horizon League play. And just. There's been one close game. One. And the Raiders have looked dominant since then. The Raiders have swept. Four games against North Kentucky. And Youngstown State. Both of those series at home in Nishwood Stadium. And now. A true test awaits in Chicago. As the Raiders. Make their way to the University of Illinois. At Chicago. The Flames and the Raiders. Start their series tomorrow, March 19th at 4 05. Doubleheader Saturday, single game Sunday, all in the afternoon. And Saturday and Sunday's offerings will be on ESPN Plus for those that want to catch it. Raiders 8 5 overall. Again, start off the season with series at number 2 Vanderbilt and number 23 Alabama. Did not pick up a win in either of those games, although the series. At Alabama, yes, it was a sweep, but very, very close games. Uh, the biggest win for the Crimson Tide was 8-4, to whereas Vanderbilt had their way in the first game against Wright State 14-1, but the Raiders lost 1-0 to Vanderbilt and to Alabama to close out those series. So, like I said, I, I know I mentioned this before where a lot of people are saying, rip Wright State, feel bad for the Raiders. Nope. Raiders won a competition, they got it, and I think they played quite well. That was just the one blowout loss. Can't really hate on that. Definitely, I can't really say anything about that either, as let's check out the Horizon League standings in baseball. Now, the Horizon League standings, I've been keeping tabs on it. Weirdly, has the records wrong for Wright State. In fact, it says that Wright State and North Kentucky have played five times, which is not correct. They have that fixed. Good. The Raiders, 8-0. Second place, UIC Milwaukee, 2-2. and In fact, it looks like Milwaukee's first wins of the season came against UIC. The Flames have lost two in a row. North Kentucky, 3-5. and They took the series three out of four against Oakland. Youngstown State 3-5, they were swept by Wright State on the road. Oakland 1-3 and and Purdue-Fort Wayne 1-3. And that's your standing seven teams playing baseball in the Horizon League. So right now Wright State swept NKU and Youngstown State at home. And UIC awaits them on the road. Now let's talk, actually real quick. Out of curiosity, let's talk about the standings in softball. Yes, I know, right? State doesn't offer the sport anymore, but currently Oakland leads the Horizon League 3-1, Youngstown State, Green Bay, Robert Morris, Detroit Mercy, Cleveland State, Purdue, Fort Wayne, UIC, Northern Kentucky 2-2, IUPUI 1-3. I know it's early. I know that's one series because we're doing four-game series now for conference play. I know it's early, but never have I seen so many teams tied at 2 and 2. That is crazy. And I I, I think Wright State would have had a great year in softball, but you know, it's a tough decision. I know that, you know, it wasn't one that celebrated, hey, we cut sports. Yay! <laughs> That'll show everyone. But let's talk about college baseball at UD and I have seen a lot of games at UD. The Flyers are three and 11. They were recently swept at home by North Dakota state, a team that looked really good pitching wise, hitting wise, just that's a complete team in the summit league. They're picked to finish third. I think Oral Roberts was picked to win or they were down by a vote for second place in the summit league. The Flyers, they were swept at South Carolina. I think they were ranked number eighteen, and they dropped two out of three at Campbell, a good Big South team. They split the series at home against Oakland, ten to one, to open up home play. Lost in a seven inning doubleheader to Oakland, five to three and two to one, and then beat the Golden Grizzlies in walk off fashion as designated hitter Alex Brickman hit a. High bouncer to the shortstop with no chance to throw out the runner at home. And the Flyers took that. Since then, the Flyers dropped the series to North Dakota State 5-1, 9-1, 4-3, and 9-3. So what's next for UD and the Flyboys? Well, a four-game series at home against Central Michigan. And I think the Chippewas are having a pretty good season thus far. They have former Oakland Golden Grizzly. And Mario Camaletti who was a great player for the Golden Grizzlies, now he's with the Chippewas. The series begins Friday, March 19th at 3, doubleheader Saturday starting at noon, and a single game Sunday at 1 o'clock. Now, before you ask, at UD, no, it's not general admission. You have to be part of the players' pass list, meaning they have to name you in order to get into Waterfield at AES Ohio Stadium. Man, that's so weird saying AES Ohio. We still live in a world without DPNL. What is this? Yes, I know. DPNL is still a thing. They're now AES Ohio. We still have electricity. We haven't had to go back to fire. be very weird if I had to do that for a podcast, but never mind. So, that's your next series at home. A10 play won't begin until next month when the Flyers visit Davidson, April 9th, 10th, and 11th for four. Now, something I want to share about the Dayton Flyers baseball team is the fact that they're getting a the chance to play at Day Air Ballpark. That is awesome. I, I'm i really pumped to announce there. Yes, I know I've announced that ballpark before, but get to see the Dayton Flyers and get to announce them. I'm really excited to see these games. This will be the first ever nighttime Dayton Flyers baseball game that I've done, which is a home game for UD. I'm not counting the ones at Wright State because again, not a home game for UD. The Flyers will get George Mason University April 16th at Day Out Ballpark at 7 PM. And then April 24th, it'll be an early morning series. The doubleheader against St. Louis, April 24th, 10 and 1. Yeah. Slew in town, and you get to host them at Dayton's Premier Ballpark. Which is really awesome. I wonder if St. Louis gets a chance to play at Bush Stadium. Uh, that, that's an question. That's not me poking fun at Slough. If I was poking fun at Slough, I would just say, hey, remember when you filmed Travis Ford, your head coach for men's basketball, rolling down a hill for no reason? Yeah, that's fun. But I, I can't wait. I mean, three games at Day Ballpark. You visit uh, excuse me, Dragons Baseball on Twitter. And there's a link to get to Ticketmaster. Use promo code UD, and you can come in. You can watch that game. I think the general public's allowed as long as you get your tickets that way. And, yeah, I think there'll be a good opportunity to catch your Flyboys against George Mason and St. Louis. So the standings in the A-10 look something like this. As we pull them up real quick. And we swap over to softball because yes, the Dayton Flyers are four and eight on the season. I'm not sure if they played any home matches yet. Actually, I think they have. But let's talk about standings first. So far, there is baseball north and baseball south. What? That's new. So in the A10, there's baseball north standings and baseball south standings. And there's only two teams with Conference records thus far. LaSalle and George Mason are both one and one to lead the North and the South, respectively. LaSalle is six and six, St. Joseph's four and zero. Fordham seven and one. Fordham picked two where were they picked? To win the A ten or picked second? One of the Rams is picked first. Let's say that. Fordham seven and one, Rhode Island eight and five, UMass four and three, St. Bonaventure yet to play. And Baseball South, George Mason 2-6, Richmond 5-3, VCU 9-7, George Washington 5-5, five five, Davidson 6-8, St. Louis 4-12, and, and Dayton 3-11. And, and that's her standings in the A-10. Again, that's a big shock. Seeing Baseball North, Baseball South, that will be interesting to see what the championship looks like. And actually, let's go back and pull up that tab. But first, let's talk about Dayton Flyers softball. 4-8, 0-1 at home. The one home match was a loss to Bowling Green 6-5. It was supposed to be a doubleheader, but I think they started that around 5-30, and it was suspended due to darkness. So there you go. Flyers currently drop four in a row at the MTSU Invitational, beat Illinois State to open up play. Then fell to Middle Tennessee, North Dakota State, Illinois State, and Middle Tennessee once again. What's next for the Flyers softball team? Well, where do they go by Fly Girls? I don't know. I mean, the baseball team's the Fly Boys. Makes sense. I, I don't know. The Flyers will be at Kentucky, and then back home March 24th, Wednesday at 2, against the Miami Redhawks for 1. And then a 10 play starts next weekend at home against St. Bonaventure. Let's pull up the championship. Hopefully it doesn't take me to like last year's where it got canceled. Nope. March 27th, 29th, 2021 baseball championship. It's going to be at the campus of the highest seed location to be determined. And all these will be streamed on ESPN plus. So there you go. The A-10 championship will be a four-team bracket So pretty much the top two in the north and the south will play. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, normally it's top eight, but COVID. So there you go. Let's go back to the softball standings in the (sighs) A-10. Loads very slowly. And this one's got softball central and softball north. Dayton's in the central. George Mason currently leading all 2-0 conference record. They beat St. Bonaventure in both games. And the Patriots undefeated 7-0. George Washington 8-6. St. Louis 5-9. Dayton 4-8. And St. Bonna at 0-4. In softball north. Fordham 6-3. St. Joseph's 5-5. UMass 0-2. LaSalle 0-3. And Rhode Island 0-9. Now it's time to talk about Miami Redhawks. Baseball and softball. Let's get some action and move over to the Red Hawks site. And this is going to be the second to last softball team we talk about. Remember, Cincinnati and Xavier do not field the sport. Which is a shame. Softball is a lot of fun. We'll start with softball, actually, for the Red Hawks and the Mac. And for the Red Hawks, again, they're supposed to be at UD soon. Miami 7-6 overall, and no conference games yet. Dropped the series at Mississippi State. Split at Tennessee. Swept Georgia Tech on the road. Lost at Georgia. Lost at, no, excuse me, won at Georgia State. Lost at Kennesaw State. And so far, no home games yet for the Red Hawks, but that's scheduled to change this weekend. As Western Michigan University comes in for four. And then the Flyers welcome in MU. But then back at home for Miami softball. They'll host Central State for four. And then hosting Eastern Kentucky for two to close out the month of March. Standings in softball look like this. Toledo, six and five. Miami, seven and six. Bowling Green, eight and seven. Ohio, four and five. Ball State, six and nine. Northern Illinois 5 and 8, Western Michigan 4 and 9, Kent State 3 and 10, Central Michigan 2 and 7, Buffalo 2 and 11, Akron 1 and 11. So, let's move over to baseball now in the MAC. RedHawks should have another great squad. Great start last year and squashed by COVID, of course. We'll do the standings first. Currently Akron 4 and 1. Not sure if that one loss is against Wittenberg because Wittenberg did beat Akron on the road. Yes, it is. That's the one loss. And so far, I'm trying to think if Mercyhurst is a D1 score or not. No D1 games yet for Akron, but that's going to change as this weekend the Zips will host Eastern Michigan. Why am I talking about Akron baseball? Well, it's because of the fact that it's Chris Sabo leading the charge for the Zips and the resurgence of Akron Baseball. So that's why I did that. Akron 4-1, Kent State 4-3, Miami 7-6, Central Michigan 2-2. Two two. They're heading to UD tomorrow. Ball State 6-7, Eastern Michigan 4-5, Ohio 1-2, Bowling Green 2-7, Toledo 2-9, Northern Illinois 1-9, and, and Western Michigan is 0-3. Oh for the Red Hawks, They're listed at 7-7, not 7-6 like the standings have it. They've lost two in a row, have the Hawks. And that was a series loss at Memphis. Took down the Tigers 9-0 in the first game, but dropped the next two 5-2 and 4-2. Toledo flies into McKee Field at Hayden Park for four. And then for four games, Northern Illinois on the campus of Miami U before Taken off to visit Eastern Michigan again for four. We're going to talk about the Northern Kentucky Norse. I mentioned softball, and the Norse were one of uh, how many? (laughs) One of like 10 teams tied at two and two. But talk about the Norse program for a little bit. First for softball. Really, I missed that series. Of Wright State and Northern Kentucky softball. I missed the baseball series too. However, there is always the chance to see Wright State go down. Northern Kentucky. It's not that far. It's about an hour, maybe. So far for the Norse softball program. They split the series with the Green Bay Phoenix at home. The Norse won the first game 1-0. Lost the next game 1-0. Beat the Phoenix in the first game 0 of Saturday's doubleheader, 3-2, to two, lost in the next one, 4-3. to three. So the Norse will take to the road to visit Oakland for four and then visiting Youngstown State for two for coming back home to take on Cleveland State for four. That is weird. That series at Youngstown State is two only, but then you have Youngstown State coming in for four. Is that Horizon Link? Yeah, that's Horizon Link. So there you go. So that's Norfolk, Kentucky softball there, splitting the series at home against Green Bay. For baseball, I mentioned the Norse fell at Wright State in four, but then took the series at home against Oakland in three, best of three, I should say. What's next for the Norse? Milwaukee at home. Should be a very good series. Todd Aslan announced before the series at Wright State this will be his last season. He's in his 21st and final season leading the Norse. So it'll be interesting to see how the coaching the coaching search looks like for NKU. I'm really excited to see what they do. So the Norse have Milwaukee at home this week and then off next weekend to start off April at Purdue-Fort Wayne. Purdue-Fort Wayne's first series was against Youngstown State and was at Defiance High School. I don't know why it was at Defiance High School, but it was. So that is your look at Norfolk, Kentucky, baseball and softball as we make the jump back up to Cincinnati to talk UC and Xavier. First up, we'll talk about the American Athletic Conference and the Cincinnati Bearcats baseball squad. Remember, no softball for either of these Cincinnati institutions. But for Cincinnati, they're six and seven on the year. Winners of three in a row. And the next series, well, it won't be a American and American Athletic Conference series. It will be the Skyline Chili slam a Man, if both teams have wrestling, that would be a great name for it. No, it's the Crosstown Shootout, the showdown between Xavier and Cincinnati. First game will be at the UC Baseball Stadium, Friday at 4. And then the series moves over for two at Xavier at Hayden Field. Saturday at 2, Sunday at 1, and back over to UC Monday at 4. It'll be the Musketeers and the Bearcats for 4, and swapping sites in the middle. After that, for Cincinnati, it'll be a series, a three-game series against St. Louis, a game at home against Louisville, and then AAC play starts at ECU. Let's look at the baseball standings in the American Athletic Conference. Shouldn't be any conference games in, and no, there isn't. I can tell you, though, East Carolina is on top of the AAC at 13-3. and Pretty good Pirates baseball program there. Houston 10-6, Wichita State 7-5. I believe they're still led by Wichita State alum and former Cleveland Indians and Seattle Mariners skipper and Eric Wedge. Tulane 9-7. South Florida, 7-7, Cincinnati and Memphis, 6-7, UCF, 7-9. Is there more standings? No, there's not. Why did you lie to me? I thought there was more standings. And now we go to Big East baseball standings. And load up Go Xavier's website. I already told you the opponent for the Musketeers will be... At Cincinnati at home for the next two games, then back at UC. But to tell you about the Musketeers season. Three and seven thus far for Xavier Baseball. And the Musketeers have dropped four in a row in a sweep. No. Excuse me. Well, yes, it is a sweep in the hands of Baylor at Waco, Texas. And then To close off the series at Wolford, the Musketeers fell 7-3, 11-4, and 10-0 at Baylor. As the Musketeers now prepare for their battle against Cincinnati. What's next for the Musketeers after you see? Well, next weekend, the Xavier team moves to Evansville. And then, to open up April, it's the Battle of Xavier and Dayton. Yes, I know, you want to see that men's basketball, but can't wait. Xavier will host Dayton on April Fool's Day, then April 2nd. And then the Flyers will welcome in Xavier Saturday, April 3rd for a doubleheader starting at noon. Just look at the roster. It's been a while since I've seen Xavier baseball. So the roster is probably completely different. But it will be nice to see. Again, Billy O'Connor took over as the head coach of Xavier Baseball, once Scott Gugans made the jump to UC. So it'll be nice to see Dayton and Xavier get it on on the diamond. Your standings in the Big East. Again, no conference games yet. Georgetown yet to play. St. John 7-3, Villanova 4-2, Creighton 4-3, Butler 2-2, Seton Hall and Xavier 3-7, and And UConn 4-10. And that closes off D1 college baseball. Cannot wait for the season to continue on here in Southwest Ohio. And that will do it. That is about three weeks worth and still an hour. Man, I have no idea how these last long. Again, sorry for the three-week interruption. Although I guarantee there's still more local sports in this podcast than what that show is gives you in Dayton and I, I can almost guarantee it honestly actually that's not it there's one more topic and it's recent it's now it's the Cincinnati Bengals in free agency and to finally close out episode 206 Time to talk about something that's been happening this week, NFL free agency, the free agent chase for the Bengals. Now, if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan, what's the one thing you want fixed? The top thing you want fixed? Offensive line, right? Well, unfortunately, I don't have any news for you. And uh, Of course, with my luck, we will have offensive linemen signing with the Bengals when I upload this episode. Yeah, I could add a segment on, but pfft, nah. But I will tell you some of the moves that the Bengals are making. Riley Reef is visiting the Bengals. He is formerly of the Minnesota Vikings, and I think that'd be a very nice pickup. Bengals signed former Cleveland Brown and Larry Ogunjobi. I believe that's how you say that. A major splash in the expense of their in-state rivals. (laughs) A standout defensive lineman, which is another thing the Bengals really need to work on. Both lines. One-year deal and more help for the defense for Cincinnati, which, yes, I know, offensive line protects Burrow. But that defense, while, you know, all right, it still had a lot of shreds here on it. So, third-round pick by Cleveland in 2017, played his college football at Charlotte. High-level production and athleticism made him a day-two pick. 60 games played with the Browns, 47 starts. Registered 14.5 sacks, 108 solo tackles, and 29 tackles for loss. With 11 of those sacks coming in 2018 and 2019. Turning 27 years old. Never became a consistent force for the Browns. But I think these additions in the defense. uh, There's no excuse for the defensive coordinator now. You know, with the signings that the Bengals are making on defense. It's either do better or hit the road for 2022. now there's rumors that Ojan Jabai Ogara bai Ogan Jabai not sure but he's good friends with Gino Atkins who's still on the Bengals roster for now so Gino might be sticking another year with this signing maybe two friends work together on the defensive side so that's a good signing. Mike Thomas has been re signed, the wide receiver. Had uh, two touchdowns last season with the Bengals, but not bad to add depth. So let's look at the other signings. There's still tight ends and offensive linemen available, but I think the biggest signing has been Mike Hilton of formerly the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cornerback. And the Bengals have lost a couple of theirs. I think Jackson left for Washington, I think. I could just look at my Twitter timeline, can't I? So Mike Hilton moving over from Pittsburgh to Cincinnati. Again, taking some free agents from AFC North foes. I like it. Ben Baby, who writes for the Bengals on ESPN, also does boxing. Mentioned that the Bengals' free agency is shaping up a lot like last year, where Cincinnati didn't do much day one, but day two is when the money bags flew out for Reeder and Waynes. Hopefully, they will contribute more this year and avoid the injury bug. But Trey Hendrickson was the first free agent signing for Cincinnati, replacing Carl Lawson with one of the NFL's leaders in sacks last season. So, I think that was a pretty good signing there. And I think his value, where where they would have paid Lawson for his, you know, I think the value speaks for itself there. Jadobi Awazi, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, three year deal with Cincinnati, another cornerback. Uh, Cincinnati liked the former second rounders' athleticism and consistency. Consistency? Ooh, love that one. Mentioned Mike Hilton already, one of the top cornerbacks in the free agent market. I I still hope that the Bengals look through offensive linemen and sign one or two or a couple today. But what I've seen, the Bengals are getting some free agents in. And I like that. Now, will the free agents help out? That's another thing to see. We got to wait a little bit until that happens. So this is from Blake Jewel NFL, who covers the Bengals for Sports Illustrated now and all Bengals. That's one of the sources I've been using today, along with Cincy Jungle. He tweets at 3 a.m., so I'm just talking to myself here, but Reef and Galladay and Sewell round one and Patrick Jones round two. On top of what the Bengals have already done would be damn near an A offseason. That's the great A, not A. A hey, or hey, hey, but, you know, I, I, I still think the Bengals have a good shot of getting Galladay, which, by the way, that was on the first take, which I scrapped. But the Bengals might have Kenny Galladay in their sights. Bengals have offered him a one-year deal, and the New York Giants, where he's visiting at the moment, have often been a multi-year deal. Now, that might sound like a no-brainer. Take the multi-year deal, get consistency, and get money. However, wouldn't it be better to get a year deal, show what you can do in Cincinnati, take the higher paid money per year, and then offer your services again in 2022? Who knows? I think Cincinnati could land Galladay. It just really depends how big... Of a contract since they offered compared to the Giants. If the Giants give him, you know, Let's say 100 mil. And five years that'd be 20 mil. The Bengals offer like 21. For one year then. You know take the 21. And then see what you can do in 2022. Now Galladay, He missed a lot of time last year. 11 games in fact. Only played five because of his hamstring. Injury. And I think hip injury, too. But back-to-back 1,000-yard games, back-to-back 1,000-yard games. That'd be impressive. Back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons in 2018-2019 for the Detroit Lions. So definitely interesting. It'd be an interesting addition to the wide receiver core led by Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. I think that's three great wide receivers there. That's tough to cover if you're any secondary. So, yeah, I like that. There's also a re-signing by the Bengals. Backing up Joe Mixon and really shining bright towards the end of the season. Samaji P. Rine. I believe he re-signed for two years. Nope. Yes, two more years for P. Rine. He played the last two years in Cincinnati. Two-year deal. Fifth-year player in 2021. Fourth-round pick by the Washington football team back in 2017. Also played with Joe Mixon at Oklahoma U with the fellow Bengals running back. So, if Mixon can stay healthy, P. Ryan, really nice RB2 in there. You got yourself a nice RB1-RB2 battle. I don't know if it's you know better than the RB1-2 combo that the Browns have in uh, Chubb and Hunt, but I think it's right up there, and I think... If Mixon has an offensive line to run through, with Pollock coming back, fixing the line, I think Mixon's due to have a good year, and P. Ryan's there to help clean up when he needs. 2020, P. Ryan played in all 16 games, rushed for 301 yards, three touchdowns on 63 carries. P. Ryan rushed for 95 yards and two touchdowns against the Houston Texans week 16. So, no, not a lot of touchdowns for P. Ryan, but it's still, you know, like I said, he did a better job towards the end of the season. Now with Mixon and P. Ryan, this also brings up a good point about Giovanni Bernard. One year on Bernard's contract left for four million. I mean that's a pretty stacked running back core. You know that put P. Ryan on RB three, I believe. But. I like what the Bengals are doing. I still want to see more work on the offensive line, but I'm not upset at the moment. No, the Bengals aren't getting Tooney. He signed a five-year deal with Kansas City. And yeah, I wanted Tooney to come to Cincinnati. It'd be a great homecoming, and I think he'd do a great job on the line. But there's more offensive linemen out there. As long as they're better than Bobby Hart, which, you know... I don't really think there's a lot that isn't better than Bobby Hart at this point. You know, it's still a good shot for the Bengals to be competitive for 2021. I'm not seeing a 2-14 and team. I'm not seeing another, what was it, 5-11-1 last year? I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing is a Bengals team that will be more competitive and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. So let's look at the five winners and losers for the first wave of Bengals free agency. Still more work to be done. But who's benefited? I mentioned the DC Lou Amaruno. He's got DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, now Hendrickson, Von Bell, awoozy, Mike Hilton. Bengals went defense first again. And really, if Anarumo can't produce this year, I think he's out the door after this season. That uh, the names I read off—if they can avoid injury—that's a pretty nice defense. Defensive line still needs work, but I just—I don't think defense is going to be a crutch that the Bengals can lean on. I just don't. Trey Waynes also listed as a winner, but with Hilton and Alouzi, that's solid company in the secondary, and Waynes is the highest paid cornerback on the team now, going number one forward, and has a promising supporting cast. Xavier Sulafilo and Bobby Hart are winners because an emphasis on defense means the offensive line has not been touched. I still think the Bengals touch up on that today, maybe tomorrow, but that draft's still coming around. I I can't see the Bengals just say, Oh, yeah, the offensive line's great. I can't see it. Auden Tate also listed as a winner. John Ross the third moved on with the New York Giants. Which, on that deal that they gave him, not bad. Let's see what Ross can do when healthy. It's very speedy, but just didn't work out in Cincinnati, which stuff happens like that. A.J. Green, now an Arizona Cardinal, which I think I mentioned on the first take. I, I love the fact that Green always carried himself with class and represented Cincinnati so well. I, it broke my heart when he got injured in Dayton. And I know there's a lot of media members down south saying, oh, Burn Welcome Stadium to the ground. Like, no, it it happens. But on Tate, Lissa as a winner. Right now, the unofficial next man up with Higgins and Boyd. I I figure even with Galladay signing, he'll be a wide receiver in that piece. So, he'll be a nice core of wide receivers. Who lost? Well, Burrow and Mixon did, again, the offensive line. This is from the first day, mind you. The offensive line hasn't been touched yet, but I think it will. Frank Pollock also on that point, too. Mackenzie Alexander, he's yet to find another team. and His starting spot was just given to a former divisional foe. It can be tough for slot corners in the open market, but Alexander put some solid play on tape last year. He'll get a shot elsewhere. Just don't know where or when. And Darius Phillips, he's either going to compete for a starting job or already back as cornerback number four. With the cash given to the new signees, it's safe say Phillips is going to be a spot starter for the upcoming season, which is ideal for the defense. But for Darius Phillips, he's going to have to keep battling for snaps in his fourth year that's your winners and losers, again, written on CincyJungle.com by John Sheeran, John underscore Sheeran on Twitter. But so far, there's an article saying that Sean O'Hara thinks Juju Smith-Schuster should sign with the Bengals. Now, you know about Juju Smith-Schuster dancing on the logos, you know. You don't dance on the logos, full stop. Dancing's fine. That's fine. I've always liked Juju. He always seemed like, you know, a good guy. But the dancing on the logos just, eh. Take that somewhere else. You want to know why Von Bell gave you such a licking on Monday Night Football? It's probably because of that. That hit that coughed up the ball in Cincinnati end up winning with Ryan Finley? Yeah. Remember that, Steeler fans? I do. Just wish we could have beat the Cleveland Browns at least once. Both games were close. I'll give you that. But let's see what 2021 brings. If Smith-Schuster signs with the Bengals, I mean, that's a nice signing too if Galladay does pick the Giants over Cincinnati. But I I don't know. I should also mention Mike Thomas. He gets another one-year deal with Cincinnati. He's wide receiver five, I believe. There's an article written this morning Is the end near for Bobby Hart? He's looking like he could be a cap casualty. Remember, he had that three-year contract long ago. Jim Turner never lost fave in Bobby Hart, but remember, Turner's not here anymore. So he mentioned in September with Sports Illustrated, Out of all my players, Bobby Hart is the most underappreciated player and the most picked-on player by everybody in the media to whoever wants to talk football. Are uh, you sure about that? you sure about that, Turner? The way he just slid... I believe it was at Miami. The way he just slid open like a sliding door to let that sack... I forget it was Allen or Finley. It wasn't Burrow. Burrow was hurt at this point. But no. no. No, 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 no. Now, of course, if Hart does become... A free agent where he gets cut by the cap. You know, watch him, you know, just grow his game like Eric Flowers did. Once he got out of New York Giants, he was pretty fine. But there you go. Frank Pollock now has the opportunity to run that line. And going through the article again, mentioning that Hart's first season with the Bengals, nothing short of terrible. Allowing 10 sacks, committing 11 penalties. And according to Pro Football Focus, finishing with a grade of 57.1. I don't know if they go by the 100 grade scale, but that's an F. That's no good. The grade raised by .5 in 2019, allowing 6 sacks, 7 penalties. And last year, finishing with 4 sacks allowed and 3 penalties. Apparently, his overall grade was higher than Kevin Zeitler, who signed elsewhere. Where did he sign? Baltimore. That's right. He signed with Baltimore. That was another name that Bengals fans were wanting back, but it didn't happen. So, Bobby Hart, no surprise. Not really a fan favorite in Cincinnati. But, you know, maybe, maybe he... You know, gets better. I don't know. So let's see if there's any more new news before we sign off. Like I said, Riley Rafe visiting the Bengals. That'd be a nice signing on that line. And like I said, outside the lack of offensive line signings. I, I like what the Bengals have done. I I think that there is hope. I don't see, you know, the Bengals, you know, going so far below five hundred. I know there's a lot of Bengals fans i have already said, "Oh well, uh, uh it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a five and twelve seasons." Like, okay, what proof do you have on that? Uh, I don't know. But Bengals are signing people. And it's looking interesting. So definitely, we'll talk more about this next week when free agent Chase is finished. Uh, the Bengals are spending money again. But if it helps them out, that's to be determined later. I will say, you know, I really want to see Joe Burrow come back. There was someone in the area that's had the audacity to share pictures of burrow getting hurt and celebrating it because you know the Bengals haven't done anything with the offensive line so you know there's that that's classy so good on you for that i guess and people have called him out on it which thank you because of the fact that you know just because you don't like the Bengals doesn't mean you have to bash them every time yes i know Bengals should be getting offensive line help and i think they will do it but there's no reason to, you know, share pictures of burrow getting hurt. what what is your problem there? Yeah. So, with that little nice bomb drop, that will do it. That's episode 206. We cover a lot of local sports, probably a lot more than what's been on that radio show in the past 3 weeks. I will go ahead and mention from here until June the 12th, when we get everything settled in the new place, actually June 12th is when we move to the new place. If there are breaks in this podcast, I'm not quitting. I'm here to stay. I'm here to prove that, you know, I'm here to prove to employers that not hiring me and not, you know, telling me why I'm not hired is a mistake. So definitely looking forward to continuing this podcast Hopefully, there won't be that long of a break again. But like I said, getting closer to time, it's going to be hectic. I start broadcasting with Champion City and the Kings late May. Dragons start up in May. And uh, man, (laughs) I can't wait. I I work a very busy spring, but it's going to be a great spring. So I'm, I'm happy to stay busy. But just to let you know, if there is a break, I'm not quitting the podcast. It's just that I have to get ready for this new move. Unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a space for me to have a podcasting room of my own, but it's two floors, several rooms. I got plenty of places to record, and I'm looking forward to more space. So, that'll do it. Episode 206. This isn't on Dayton Radio. It's on the local Sydney Sports Podcast. And it's great to be back talking Cincinnati and Dayton sports with you. Catch you up on 207 where we crown boys basketball, girls basketball, ice hockey, state champions and talk about more happening in Southwest Ohio until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark Sindaypod.com, the official website of the local Sunday sports podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple podcast, Google podcast, TuneIn, in Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app and more.